heard so far. One was the the the, the game with Buffalo, right? Had to be postponed until what today? Yeah, it's this afternoon. I think two thirty our time now. Wow. Yeah. So I I think that's right. Actually, man, I hope that's right. Um. Yeah, that was supposed to be played yesterday morning. I saw videos uh, that they released uh, just about thirty minutes ago. And there's still a lot of snow in that stadium, but it's it's funny because they're offering twenty dollars for volunteers, twenty bucks an hour to come down. They're going to give you lunch or some sort of meal and wow. some sort of something else. But yeah, you see uh, you see the videos of these guys shoveling snow, and they they have these like they're big slide looking things that they right. put in the stairwell so that you can just shovel the snow into it and it slides down. And a video went viral yesterday of a guy shirtless jumped onto that black slide look at thing and rode the snow down the section so at least some people are having fun with it but uh only in buffalo yeah (laughs) yeah i mean you think it's you know bad here and we had the cold snap sure but they got so much snow i mean it's it's crazy out there i i I do not know what it is about buffalo and that part of uh, northern new york that just seems to get absolutely slammed with not just inches, but feet and feet of snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy because, you know, most of the NFL season is played either in an indoor, you know, stadium because that's all they're building now is, you right. know, all the new ones are indoor, some way to like have a retractable roof. But some of those, you know, staple stadiums like Buffalo and like the Giants Stadium in MetLife, there's no dome or roof or anything oh, how like about that. Green, how about Green Bay? Green Lambeau. Bay, same thing, right? Yeah. So like, it's so, it's so interesting to me that, you know, you have these teams that are so used to playing, you know, in beautiful weather or indoors throughout the whole season. And then the biggest game of them all, they got to play all of a sudden in the cold or maybe snow. And like Buffalo, Pittsburgh, they're playing later today. They're kind of used to it. But like, Miami had to go play Kansas City this weekend. Right. And you know Miami, it's beautiful. Like and right. they're used to playing on the road obviously during the season, but none during the season the weather hasn't quite changed to where it was and that Kansas City game was they were playing in negative degree wind chills and it's like the Miami players aren't used to playing in that. No. And I get both teams play under yeah. the same conditions, but right. it's like you play all season one way and then you have to go and you know, I guess it's just kind of how it goes, and that's what some people, what they like about football and what makes it great. Same thing for the Grizz, right? Whenever we get home playoff games and it's really cold and we get that weather, that's an advantage to us sometimes because we're used to it, right. you know? But, right. yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. You think the NFL was so much money that's spent on that that every stadium not being indoors by now is it's kind of crazy. But. Well, and, and and you have to be there. There's a certain amount of uh, stubborn pride. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, hey, we're from Buffalo. We can stand the weather. And mm-hmm. But uh, you wonder how many more people they'd get in the stands if, true. if they had a, a, a covered stadium. Yeah, they were. Uh, they The Kansas City game specifically this week, and they were warning people, you know, you got to have your whole face covered, everything cut. You like enter at your own risk, basically. Like it's going to be kind of dangerous, you know, for fans. And I thought, and I was looking at a, a reselling website for tickets, and they had playoff tickets as cheap as like thirty dollars, wow. which would never happen in Kansas City, right? No. no. But then you watch the game. Stadium's filled. Everything's filled. I'm like, oh my gosh! Like these guys are crazy. They're diehards, but I respect it. So and so, Kansas City won, though, right? They did. Yeah, it was a pretty easy game. They only allowed seven points, so I think that's why I'm kind of griping because I feel a little bit bad for Miami. But 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Kansas City is a good team, so they were probably going to win regardless. Yeah, with but. a name like Tunga Vailoa. Yeah. Or Vi- Viola or Vailoa? Vailoa. Uh, Tua Tunga Vailoa. Vailoa, uh, who came from where? I was Hawaii, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not fair. No, he, he was not ready for the cold, so let me tell you that. I was born in Hawaii, and I'm a Montana kid. Anyway, we're, we're going to come right back. It's uh, 810. We're, we have some special guests coming into the studio here in just a few minutes, uh, talking about the, the cancer battle. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking the battle to battle, the battle to beat cancer. We'll have them here in just a few minutes, so stay with us. Okay, we are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. We have special guests in the studio right now. We have Courtney and George with the Battle to Beat Cancer from Can't Make a Dream. And welcome, you guys. Good to have you. Good morning. Well, well, Good morning let's, let's try this. Oh, there you go. Hi. Oh, there we go. <laughs> there we are. We're live. Good morning, sir. In the on position works much better. <laughs> All right. So, Courtney, uh, let, let, we only have a few minutes to talk about, to yes. talk here, because we're going to be meeting with you in successive months. But tell us what's going on to, to benefit Camp Make a Dream. Well, we are really excited to announce that we are improving what we have hosted for seven, eight years, which is the lip sync battle. This year, we are expanding the lip sync battle to the battle to beat cancer, which will now include a battle of the bands and dance battles. So you can enter as three categories of performances, which is incredible. Nick, do you hear that? (laughs) You and me, baby. Which which one, guys? Which one, guys? We already know we have a drummer in the house. I'm I'm thinking Nick will do the dance battle. Oh, perfect. Perfect. You guys can also be a duo if you want. Go ahead, go ahead. I interrupt. No, you're good. So between now and the 15th of February, folks in Missoula who are talented in one of these three categories can Mm -hmm. enter the battle to beat cancer. They all they have to do is submit a short little form that's on our website, a video and a picture. And that will allow us to see their talent in person and choose the best 18 to perform live on March 30th. All of this benefits can't make a dream, but those that actually win the battle, they get not only huge break bragging rights, but they also get five hundred dollars cash. Cool, cash. Wow. All right, and so so uh, where is this going to be? So it's at the Denison Theater okay. at UM. And gentlemen, first, thanks so much for having us oh, on this morning. Oh, it's our morning. pleasure. It's, a, it's our it's, pleasure. Well, it's ours, too. And it's hard to imagine summer camp on a morning like this, right? <laughs> very very hard to picture actually, frolicking actually, in the sun. Actually, it's easy to imagine. <laughs> I see a little sunshine on yeah, this. Yeah, it's yeah. over the horizon, yeah. but right. you have to use your mind. Right. Um, we at Camp Make a Dream are heading into our 30th season of providing medically supervised, cost-free camp experience for folks who are battling cancer themselves. And what that means is that is that folks who are actively in treatment or in remission um, are all are eligible. Kids, teens, adults, uh, families, caregivers all come out to camp and they get to spend a week where the main thing about them is not their diagnosis. It's not the thing that defines them for a week. They just get to be themselves. They get to, we get to see what their weird talent is, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, uh, and for the rest of the year, they bring that experience home with them, and they know from their own experience that it's possible, no matter how bad the news is on the do- from the doc on a given day, they get to know, they know from their own experience that it's possible to feel different. I remember when all this started many years ago, yeah. over, over 20 years ago, and... Uh, and, and and the 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 compelling selling point was getting the kids away from the from the clinical into yeah. the into the real you know friendship 
our our our, our battle with cancer is secondary now to yeah. uh, to exactly. getting together and and communing with nature and just having a great time and lifting the spirit. Yeah. That's exactly what it is, and it's the extraordinary vision of our founders, Harry and Sylvia Graniter, who donated this this beautiful 87-acre parcel in Gold Creek, Montana, and it started with one camp session for kids 30 seasons ago, mm-hmm. and now we had 13 seasons. We had 390 campers this year from you know from almost 40 states, and we're heading into uh, we're, we're going to have in the next year or two we'll have our 10,000th camper cross the Bridge of Dreams. Wow. So describe, for those who have never been to the camp, mm-hmm. could you just yeah. give us a quick description? Well, you picture a summer camp in your mind, right? right there's right. a beautiful lodge, and there are cabins, and there are game fields, and there's a beautiful butte in the background. Always one of the high points for campers is hiking the butte, right? Hiking a mountain's a big deal for any, anybody. But these are folks who are carrying each other up the hill, mm-hmm. right? And they get to stand at the top of this butte and look over this valley, and they have conquered something. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is not a metaphor in that moment, right? It is the most real thing, and they did it together. You bet. All right, so we have exactly one minute left in our time together. So give us the, give us the facts on when and where and how do we sign up. So here's what I want. I want anyone who's passionate about cancer and fighting cancer, anyone who's an incredible dancer, an incredible lip syncer, or in an awesome band, to go to campdream.org backslash battle Fill out the application between now and February 15th, and hopefully we'll see you live on stage March 30th. That's going to be wonderful. Now, will there be like a... a, a does everybody who applies gets in? or Not necessarily. How, we're gonna, how, how we're hoping work? for the top 18. Okay, right. Yep. So we will filter through all of those applications. We have a team, which also includes Casey here at the radio station. So Great. we'll be going through all the talent and choosing the top talent to perform. Fantastic. All right. Give us the contact information one more time. Absolutely. It's campdream.org backslash battle. All right. It's been a delight talking with you guys, but it's too short. So. It is too short. We'll <laughs> so, come back soon. You bet. Well, c- come back again and give us the next update. And uh, well, you're giving it to us in bits and pieces. Bits and that's and pieces. good. We are. So, letting the appetite right, a bit. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I want to say thank you to both of you. Thank, thank you, you so much, much you guys. Please stay warm out there. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. you right. too. Thank you. All right. We're going to come right back. Uh, we do have, by the way, coming up in about 10 minutes, we have the KGVO Book Club. And so we are going to be... Uh, Talking about now, what, what what is the name of the book this time, Nick? Uh, American Breakdown That's by right. Gerard Baker. American Breakdown. All right, so uh, we're, we'll be we'll be doing that here in about ten minutes. But the rest of the time, it'll be open phones at seven two one twelve ninety or one eight hundred five six eight five three zero nine. We're coming right back after this. Yeah, we are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. We have open phones for about another seven minutes or so. We already have Jeff waiting to talk with us. Jeff, good morning. You're on TalkBack, sir. What's on your mind? Hey, good morning. Just a, a brief observation. You t- you say you use the uh, explanation that you were born in Hawaii. Yes, sir. To not like cold, but did, were you ever to? Have you ever gone back to Hawaii? Yes, yes, I was there uh, uh, when I turned fifty about twenty years ago. Okay, so did you ever go to the Big Island and up to the top of Mauna Loa or Mauna Kea? Uh, no, we spent most of our time on Oahu. Oh, okay. Uh, I have never been or seldom been so cold as I was in uh, January at the top of Mauna Loa. Really? Uh, 
Yes, it is uh, absolutely frigid up there. You can actually ski in some places, cross-country ski with snow. So uh, Hawaii has snow. It's uh, not something a lot of folks know. Even uh, Yara and Maui, up top of Haleakala, um, you can find little patches of snow up there. So it does get cold in Hawaii, believe me. Well, I, I remember my, my son and daughter uh, rented a Harley and went all the way up to the top of Haleakala. And on the way down, they were absolutely drenched in the, in the worst down, downpour they would ever been in before in a rented Harley. How about that? Yeah, luckily, when they got to the bottom, they could warm up pretty well. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can believe it. That side of the island, it gets really wet. So anyway, Hawaii gets cold. I just wanted to let you know. So well, good to know. (laughs) Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks. Appreciate it. Let's get Harry on the line. Harry, good morning. You're on Talkback. Happy Monday to you, sir. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, and happy uh, uh, Martin Luther King Day. Yes, sir. Anyway, uh, last Friday, I... I kind of apologize. I try not to be rude to the what the gentleman you had on there, but he was. Uh, I can see where he's a good talker because he throws out a whole bunch of stuff, and there's so many things that some are true, some are partially true, some are not true at all. But then you know, I so I had you know trying to interject what you know uh, and hit a few points, but um, I try not to be rude. But anyway, uh, his idea that you know socialism well. Reason why you know uh, the the Amish and those are all uh, good or can have socialism is because they're Christians, but that's not true because there's Buddhist temples or um, not temples but um, mana or um, monasteries. What do you call it? Monasteries over in uh, Tibet and other places that are all socialists and they're not Christians and they get they've been around for hundreds of years. So I mean you know maybe it's because they have the same idea, but that's you know, are all live on, on the same idea, but that's not, you know, just saying, well, because they're Christian. And I can see where the idea, well, everything good in the world is because of what I believe, you know, or, or what I think is true. Like the Christians, they think, well, the uh, reason why slavery was overturned was Christianity. You know, science is around because of Christianity and all these things. But, I mean, it's pretty much demonstra- or just, uh, you could demonstrate that it's not real or true because slavery when did they quit having slavery around here in middle 1800s but christianity has been around as a world religion since 400 uh, ce so i mean that's a well, good 1400 years of uh, slavery being around with christianity being around so you know our uh, science science started way back in uh, greece uh, in greek before christianity ever thought of it coming around so i mean you know uh, making inferences that aren't there. Uh, I just, you know, I need to or have the desire to point that out. All right, Harry. Well, thanks for the call. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, 721 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Nick Christensen over there producing Talkback this morning. We are coming up here in, in about two minutes or so. We're gonna, Actually, we'll take a quick break here and then come right back. Uh, Dr. Mirdad Kia is going to be joining us on the phone. And, of course, Dr. Michael Mayer joining us here in the studio talking about American Breakdown. Sounds like a great rock song. <laughs> or band, yeah. yeah. Yeah, band, yeah. American Breakdown! Okay, no, don't start. Uh, well, so we'll take our break right now and come right back and uh, begin this uh, great uh, KGVO Book Club episode right after this.
Okay, we're back. This is Talk Back, and uh, we are beginning another exciting book called American Breakdown uh, with Dr. Mirdad Kia joining us on the phone right now here in the studio, Dr. Michael Mayer. Gentlemen, good morning to to both of you. Morning. Happy New Year. And uh, you braved the cold to come down? Yeah. Um, Actually, it's not happy. We saw you uh, for the uh, hotspots this year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, It's still a happy New Year. It's still a happy New Year. (laughs) All right. More or less. (laughs) So, gentlemen, uh, let's talk about this book. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be very short, and I'm going to pass the baton quickly to my good friend, uh, Professor Michael Mayer. Um, You know, you have really a book which uh, masterfully uh, basically highlights uh, the growing distrust of Americans in their institutions. And... uh, with a, really a, a list, you know, a breakdown of the many ways uh, our leaders have destroyed their own credibility. Uh, and um, really, I would say, you know, there, there was a review I read of it, uh, of the book, that said um, uh, America, in fact, has not failed. Uh, certain Americans uh, have failed lying politicians, phony executives, woke academics, <laughs> and activist scientists. You know, this was the sort of category of the individuals that uh, Mr. Baker's uh, American bra- breakdown sort of emphasizes. So um, it's really, uh, I think, a search uh, to understand what uh, one may call the roots of. Uh, declining public trust in just about every institution in the country. And um, so um, I I would say that much to start with and ask Mike to take it from there. Sure. Uh, Merida pretty much hit the nail on the head. Maybe we can all go home and go go back to bed. (laughs) Um, But uh, Baker's an interesting figure. He's British-born and educated. He, He worked for the time. Times of London and the BBC came to the U.S. in 1996. He was editor-in-chief of the Wall Street Journal and is now the journal's editor-at-large. And in a lot of ways, uh, this is a journalist book. Um, All the citations are to website. It's a kind of a a product of a nexus search. And yet in spite of that, there's some really interesting and important observations and conclusions along the lines that that Merida has mentioned. it's, it is about the loss of faith of America in its own institutions. And it deals with these in su- successive chapters, one on politics, one on business, one on news, one on the universities, one on technology and tech companies, and the last one on science and medicine. And um, he goes through uh, the ways in which America – there's survey research and so on that shows the ways in which Americans – no longer trust those institutions. And he suggests that the responsibility for that, although it's a complicated story, there are many factors, but the main responsibility lies with the people who run those institutions who have um, done things that make them unworthy of America's trust. And um, I, I think that, that, that that's an important, it's, it's a really important point. Um, I, he begins with a discussion of trust itself. 
and he talks about the loss of trust, and he points out that uh, some people blame it on Trump, and Trump can, did his part to contribute. But the loss of trust in these institutions goes back long before Trump ever came down that escalator. And dare, um, dare I say, Richard Nixon? Yeah, well, and and in some ways, yeah, and in some ways before that, yeah. Vietnam and right. uh, many things. But he he focuses on a couple of more recent things. One is globalization, um, uh, where he points out that there's an educated elite. Um, many of whom, if not most of whom, are globalists, um, who hold a set of views that they're citizens of the world and they're, they're, they're really not attached to particular countries and so on. And yet the rest of the population uh, doesn't agree with that. And he, he talks also about the emergence of uh, a radical ideology and he points out elements of that are, are identity politics. Uh, some refer to it as critical race theory. And other things, and again, the majority of people do not hold those beliefs, don't share those beliefs. And he says that the two ideas, the um, the globalists and the sort of cultural radicals, um, don't necessarily agree on everything, but they have one thing in common, which is a contempt for ordinary Americans. This is Nick. And um, he argues that uh, one of the more interesting things I thought is that this book touches on a number of themes that we've visited before on the book club. Mm -hmm. And he argues that one major co contributor to the, the American breakdown, the loss of faith, is economic inequality and the growth of economic inequality. But if you remember when we talked about Graham's book, The Myth of American Inequality, he suggests that uh, America's not quite uh, – inequality is not quite as, as marked as some people say and, it, and it, the evidence that it's been growing is, 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 very, is very weak. Um, he points out that um, the census established the measure for counting income by, uh, by counting only cash, um, uh, which – doesn't include a lot of government transfers and that sort of thing, um, and employer-paid benefits. Uh, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, housing subsidies um, have not been classified as cash payments. Mm. Um, uh, it doesn't count the earned income tax credit. The census doesn't count food stamps, Medicare, Medicaid. Um, and nor does it deduct the amount of taxes paid. And when you adjust for those things, wow. the, the degree of inequality is considerably less. Um, Baker uses uh, statistics that, uh, that, I, that are, I think the census statistics are what he's using that say inequality has increased 22.9% from 1947 to 2017. But if you count transfer payments and taxes, income inequality has actually fallen 3% over that same period. So um, that, that's, that's one of, I think, the, the less persuasive elements uh, of the book. But I think in the others, um, he, he's, hit them, he's hit them pretty well. And he, ta he talks about in, in politics. And I think maybe before the break, this is, this is a, a good place to start uh, and, then, and then finish up at the break. Um, the refusal to, to accept the outcome of elections. And it's not just Trump. I mean, it, it goes back a long way, whether it's uh, George W. Bush or uh, in both of his elections, Hillary, Democrats Hillary Clinton. said uh, Hillary Clinton refused right. to accept her loss right. and so on. Um, you know, we have the business in Georgia. It, it goes on and on and on. Um, but people also question the legitimacy of the Supreme Court when things don't go their way. Uh, they question the executive agencies, uh, especially things like the Center for Disease Control. Um, they 
Uh, and he says this is a failure of American political leadership. And, um, and maybe that's a good point for us to, to, to break. We're going to take a break. We also have Nancy waiting to visit with you, gentlemen, uh, with, when we come back from the break. Again, the, uh, the book is called American Breakdown. It's by Gerard Baker. Uh, the Wall Street Journal editor-at-large. So he's been around the block, and so we're going to come right back and get Nancy's call, hear from uh, Dr. Kia, and, of course, hope for, hopefully you as well, uh, because your phone calls are what help make this show go. At 721-1290, we're coming right back after this. Okay, welcome back to Talk Back, 721-1290. That's our number. It's the KGVO Book Club going on right now with American Breakdown by Gerard Baker. And uh, let's uh, let's see, I believe we have Nancy waiting very patiently on the line. Nancy, good morning, and thank you for holding. Go ahead, please. Yeah, good morning to everyone. I'm so happy to hear human voices because I've been shut in like everybody else here in Montana due to the, oh, my God, this Arctic uh, weather. It's been horrible. But, yeah, guys, I think um, the public trust in the federal government has been declining for for decades. I'm going to guess maybe around uh, 1958 or maybe 1960. And uh, only less than 1% of Americans uh, think that the government uh, is trustworthy or is doing the right thing. And I think a lot of this, in my opinion, I think that our country grew so enormously fast in such a short period of time that it was overwhelming. And I also think that laziness in our government and diff- different branches of our government causes because they allowed bureaucrats, unelected officials, to do the job that they were elected to do. And I think this is part of this uh, major problem right now. And if you look um, right now at, uh, well, like the budget thing with uh, the new speaker, Mike Johnson, and um, nobody likes his uh, new bill, and some of the... Uh, uh, Republicans like uh, Senator um, uh, Chip Roy of Texas, they're furious. They, they even talked about ousting him, just like they did uh, Kevin McCarthy, which I don't think is a good thing to do in an election year to, to divide the party. But uh, this is just an example. Uh, this just seems to be... Uh, we're so divided in our country, and I hate to see that. I don't feel that we're united anymore. So let's see you. Well, um, certainly Baker agrees. Thanks, uh, Nancy. With, with a couple of the points you made, um, he, he writes, the vast scale of the institutions may be justified in terms of economies of scale or by the large purpose they're serving, but dealing with these uh, huge entities increases a sense of smallness in us. We feel overwhelmed and beaten down by the bureaucracy, uh, which are the uh, two of the points that, that Nancy just made, the, the rapid growth of the American government, which he spends a fair bit of time talking about and the growth of the bureaucracy, which we is distant from the American people. Uh, un, and we, people feel they're not able to influence it um, or even get a hearing before it and that um, and and that it controls their lives. If I if I may say, uh, I, and Mirdad, please weigh in on this if yes. you'd like. During when COVID first began, we had uh, we had uh, an expert on on the uh, on the phone with us, uh, Peter uh Doctor, Doctor Peter. Oh my gosh! Yes, I, I know. His name Shame too. on me. Anyway, that upset everybody. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, and he was on. Uh, he he knows Bob Seidenshore very well. Uh, Margala. Yeah, yeah. Sorry Peter, Peter Margala. Anyway, uh, he was he was talking about the fact that the medium is the message. He said it's very very important to control the message going out to the people about a worldwide pandemic like this because <laughs> you have to be able to trust your government 
who is the purveyor of all this information, to be telling you the truth. And the problem is a large percentage of people just didn't believe them. And, and it, didn't, it didn't matter how much proof they put up or graphs they put up or all this stuff. I know you people are lying to me. I'm going to believe this guy instead. So where do yep. we go from there? Well, one of the things that he talks about is, is COVID, is, is a major source of, of distrust. And um, as, as we've discussed on, the, on this program on a number of occasions, experts didn't do themselves any favors with their response to COVID. Um, they miss. And again, I'm, I'm not. Sometimes they lied. Sometimes they just didn't know. But uh, think of all the things that we were told uh, that that turned out not to be true, which certainly leads to distrust. Whether it was the efficacy of masks, the efficacy of the vaccine, um, in terms of of, of halt or li- halting or limiting the spread of the disease, or or immunizing people against getting the disease. It, it obviously they're effective at reducing the severity, but uh, that's not what we were told initially. Um, the question of the origins of COVID, the, whether it's a lab leak or whether it comes from an animal or something, uh, the the evidence for the lab leak was around early. A lot of scientists thought thought it was um, uh, a, a lab leak, and yet. Not only were they, they um, it's not that people disagree with them. They, they censored them. They, they came down on them and, um, and criticized them in the harshest terms. And people who had opposing views like Atlas, uh, Bhattacharya, um, Mahari, who turned out to be right, were excoriated in the media and by their fellow scientists. And sometimes lost everything. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, some of them, not Atlas, and right. uh, is, is at Stanford, Bhattacharya is at Stanford, and Mahari's at Hopkins. Right. But again, these are serious scientists, and they were treated as if they were raving lunatics. Yeah. So, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, will, I will say that Nancy's uh, comments are just right on the money, and she pointed to, several issues. First and foremost about COVID, I think uh, I was uh, shocked by how quickly this whole issue, which was a pandemic and it had to be dealt with, um, we had to deal with it as a unified nation and sort of put our trust in our political and uh, scientific leaders. But uh, immediately it was politicized. And uh, you know, for me, the uh, one of the really disturbing part of it was uh, this uh, sort of numbers on the top right of your TV screen uh, that CNN had put for a while, which gave us the number of uh, um, uh, people who were dying from COVID. For some reason, that number disappeared after the election. You know, as if COVID disappeared from the scene. Uh, it, it seemed like it was used, you know, uh, and I'm, to be honest with you, you know, so people will not get really upset. You know, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump and, for that matter, Joe Biden. I have my own view of things. I do not consider myself a partisan of either but, you know, why is it that as long as it had political value as far as the election, the numbers were telling us what a disaster it was? And then after the election, suddenly, as if COVID disappeared and COVID was not an issue. And we all know that COVID is still here. And we have many, many people going to emergency rooms still, and it's still with us. 
So the lack of trust in, in even our media, which is supposed to just convey the facts, you know, this was theoretically, that's long gone. The other one that Nancy uh, alluded to, and I really like her uh, comments on that, is actually the fracturing of political parties themselves. I mean, look at it. Uh, President Biden, just a few days ago, uh, attacks, uh, you know, uh, what, uh, uh, you know, is very clearly uh, a terrorist organization and its basis, the Houthis in the country called Yemen, right? And, by the way, it was long overdue, and I think it's a good thing that we have uh, sent a message to the Houthis, although I'm still confused why he removed the uh, terrorist designation, and now, uh, in answering to a reporter, he called them a terrorist organization. If they're a terrorist organization, why are not? Why aren't they in the terrorist list of organizations? Whatever the case may be, look, this was an obvious case of uh, our leader basically responding to a terrorist attack and threat in the Red Sea region. And look what happened in his own party. There is a faction in the party which actually denounced him and went after him. Um, Nancy alluded to the uh, the fate of uh, Kevin McCarthy in the Republican Party. Look what it what a mess the Republicans created uh, in their own party over the leadership. Uh, these are all signs of uh, you know these personal. Uh, in some ways, uh, it smacks of a vendetta, but also fracturing ideologically and in terms of uh, uh, no one really having the legitimacy to actually even uh, run his or her own party politics in the Congress. Yeah, with that, which these are all very, very disturbing signs. We are, we are up against a break. We'd love to hear from you uh, about this book called American Breakdown. If you have a question or comment, uh, this is what it's all about. It's a KGVO book club, kind of a, a community discussion, if you will. And we'd love to have your input. 721-1290 is our number. Back after this. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. 721 is our number. We have about uh, four minutes before we have to take our hard break at the top of the hour. Uh, we're talking about a book called American Breakdown. Dr. Michael Mayer here in the studio, Dr. Mirdad Kia on the phone, and I believe Helena is waiting. Helena, good morning. You're on with our with our, our hosts. Go ahead, please. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my question has to do with the um, politicization of the you know, this mistrust in government institutions, your guests have been talking about that. I want to ask if that uh, politicization of it, uh, however you want to pronounce it, um, affects U.S. foreign policy any. Uh, what's the uh, the effect that it might have on that? Thank you. Thanks for the call. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, uh, Baker points out that obviously that, that it does and that it has it has the same uh, deleterious effects on foreign policy as it does on domestic policy. And, I mean, you, you've seen some of these same things. I mean, people have argued that Biden responded to the initial Hamas attack on Israel um, because it made good political sense to support Israel. And then when uh, things shifted, particularly within his own party, um, he began to backpedal a little bit. Uh, obviously, the, these these sorts of 
of things lead to a, lot, uh, a lack of faith in the sort of uh, not only our political leadership, but the notion that there's a steady hand at the till. And I mean, he's obviously not the only president who's responded uh, politically to, to events abroad. Mirdad, go ahead. I, th- I think in, in, in some ways, um, you know, the way I remember it, and uh, there was much greater trust in U.S. Uh, foreign policy abroad was because uh, we had frameworks uh, that uh, enjoyed uh, bipartisan support. You know, we knew who our allies were. Um, You know, Mike mentioned, you know, Middle East, for example, uh, but also in in other parts of the world. And uh, suddenly we have uh, U.S. presidents who do not even speak to the leaders of the countries we have been allied with. I mean, look at the relationship between some of our uh, presidents and Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel, or Saudi Arabia for that matter. Well, Israel and Saudi Arabia were considered to be uh, really the principal pillars of U.S. foreign policy in the region. Um, The origins of this um, can be traced to a number of issues uh, but uh, I don't want to go into that. But clearly, it's no longer a bipartisan, uh, you know, sort of consensus. If there are people in the Congress who actually uh, refuse to condemn Hamas and its uh, uh, and its ideology as a terrorist organization, we have exactly one minute left before we have to take our hard break. Uh, the last time I remember America being at least having the image of being united was right after the 9-11 attacks, right? Yes. Right. And, and, and so America came together. They, they congealed, uh, you know, this was a shock to the American system that anyone, 19 people could do this, right? And, yeah. uh, and so uh, America stood, stood together for a little while until all the fracturing came apart and the politicization again of that event began. Right. And, and again, the, the representation, whether... I mean, I, I think the evidence for actual lying is, is, is not very strong. The, the representation of, of weapons of mass destruction and so on were um, uh, led to a lack of trust in, in that effort. We're going to come right back after the top of the hour break. Uh, we have Jerry and Dave both waiting. Gentlemen, uh, well, if you, thank you for your patience. We'll talk to you after the top of the hour. Welcome back, everybody. It's hour number two of Talk Back for this Monday, January 15th, brought to you this morning by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold, yes, indeed, uh, you'll get everything you need to make sure your rig starts every morning. Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts is located at Palmer and West Broadway. Also brought to you by Harrington Surgical Supply, where appointments are preferred for mastectomy fittings and custom compressions, but walk-ins are always welcome. Also brought to you by Y West Storage out at the Y on Two Smokes Way. For pricing and availability of storage, call 406-510-0590 at Y West. They're making room for you. And by Phillips Janitorial, with both residential and commercial cleaning. No matter how cold it is, you still need to have your house in your in your your business clean, give them a call today. No job is too big or small. 406-260-6617. Okay, welcome back. It is the KGVO Book Club. We're rocking right along. We have Dr. Michael Mayer here in the studio, Dr. Mirdad Kia on the phone. The book is called American Breakdown, and uh, we have all sorts of folks lined up to visit with you gentlemen. So, Nick, who's first? Uh, we have Jerry. Jerry, Jerry, good morning. You're on Talkback, sir. What's up? Good morning, gentlemen. 
What a what a great subject to get the blood flowing on a Monday morning. <laughs> the, um, the million dollar question for me is, when you take away the vote, and what I mean by that is, when it doesn't matter who you vote for, when it doesn't matter what party's in charge, and when they get to Washington, it's like they get sucked into this big black hole, or he or she. It, it doesn't matter. It just gets worse. It keeps getting worse and worse no matter what party's involved. So so my million-dollar question is, what do we do about it? It is a million-dollar question. Um, And, excuse me, and and thanks for the call. You know, it's it's interesting. It's hard to know where you go from here. The last two chapters of... um, of, Does he have solutions at the end? Well, that's what I was going to say. The last two chapters (laughs) of the book address those things and suggest solutions. Right. But I think they're the weakest two chapters of the book. Really? Yeah. He's pretty good at pointing out the the problem uh, and isolating the institutions in which Americans have lost faith. He's pretty good at looking at the causes of those uh, of those breakdowns, uh, and not just the failure of, of leaders, but um, other institutional sorts of things, whether it's globalization and politics and economics or other things uh, and business, which we haven't talked about. But um, it, it's his solutions are kind of general and and don't you know they, they don't inspire a lot of confidence because it's a difficult question. It it really is. I mean, the the, the as again, you, you you can address some of the. The, the sorts of things uh, people have suggested things that that uh, Baker doesn't, but like whether it's reforming um, you know this institution or that, but uh, it's it's very very difficult to see uh, how once you've lost trust, it's really hard to rebuild it. Beardad, how about you? Yeah, so to be fair, um, as Mike mentioned, also um, you know the title of the book is actually American Breakdown: Why We No Longer Trust Our Leaders and Institutions and how we can rebuild confidence. So the last part of the book does actually uh, raise the question how we can rebuild confidence. And I think a large part of it maybe, and Mike can correct me, uh, boils down to who we elect. Um, You know, that's one dimension of it. Not all, not uh, a significant part of it, but uh, it's important to elect people uh, doesn't matter which party, who are willing to work together as Americans first rather than as Democrats and Republicans. Um, you know, there was another question on U.S. foreign policy. Do we have an American foreign policy or do we have a Republican and a Democratic uh, foreign policy? We used to have a national consensus, you know, a uh, bipartisan consensus on what the national interest of the United States is or are or the list of it is. Uh, so when we elect people who actually uh, want to polarize and stand uh, after, you know, uh, across the line and throw mud at each other, well, this is what you get. You don't get a, you don't get a consensus politics. You get by, uh, you get very partisan politics. Uh, and uh, what I think has happened in some ways, and uh, he brings it up t- uh, to some degree, is that I think the 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 very left of one party uh, has uh, become more, much more dominant with the uh, extreme right and populist of the other party uh, on the other side. And the result is that the moderates are squeezed out of the, out of the 
political spectrum, and it becomes a you know mudslinging basically situation. Um, that's one uh, issue that I'm kind of reading it. Maybe it's my own read, uh, but that's one of the issues that uh, um, is clearly uh, uh, the big one. The other one is that unfortunately, uh, uh, what is it? The fifth state. Uh, media itself has lost its legitimacy because uh, it is also very polarized. You know, you turn on Fox, you know what you're going to get. You turn on CNN and MSNBC, uh, you know um, what you're going to get on that side. And uh, is it a reflection of facts and uh, the nuances and the complexities of issues that we are confronting with? Of course it is not. Uh, they reflect the political views of two parties uh, rather than uh, providing solid analytical information. Oh, we're up against yeah. it, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, real, real quickly, I mean, what Merida says is, is, is very important. And um, Baker uh, addresses that, but he, he points out the uh, that as advertising has declined for newspapers and mainstream media, they rely more and more on subscription and therefore, they, they cater to their audience. And so that, that he's good at identifying that problem, the, the sort of thing that Merida just – his answers aren't quite as good. In government, he says, it may be too much to ask politicians not to lie, uh, <laughs> but politicians don't even try anymore. And he thinks it would be a good idea if they didn't lie. Uh, he's, he talks about the media. Well, separate opinion from, uh, from, from news. Good idea, not likely to happen. Um, I mean, again, this, is, this is, goes back to Jerry's question, which is the difficulty of these things. He, he says, with respect to education, higher education uh, also needs genuine diversity of ideas. He's absolutely right. How that's going to be achieved is, 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 is a real difficult question. And with that, we are up against a break. We have Dave and Wingnut and Jeff and Harry all waiting to visit uh, about this. This is, a, this is a great topic. And, uh, of course, I know Nick and I, uh, we work in this world. And so, anyway, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Back after this. Upper 20s, what's that? <laughs> anyway, welcome back, everybody. This is Talkback. I'm Peter Christian. We have Nick Christensen over there taking your phone calls this morning, producing Talkback. Dr. Michael Mayer here in the studio. Dr. Mirda Kia is on the phone with us. And Dave has been waiting the longest on hold. So, Dave, thanks for holding. Go ahead. Yeah, good morning. It's getting harder and harder to say what is the truth and what is a lie. You know, Joseph Goebbels uh Hitler's propaganda chief once said that if you tell a lie often enough, people will believe it. And uh, if, if we can't believe and you can't find the truth, especially in our election cycles, and, and who should be president, how are we going uh, to improve things when, when lying seems to be beneficial? It's a good question. All right, gentlemen, <laughs> it, how much time do we have? It, it, it is a very good question. Thanks for the call. And it's, it's been... It's been an element of American politics since the beginning, since the founding. The, the founders, people forget, called each other terrible names and insulted each other. And, and, and they had duels. Yeah, and, and pa- yeah, that may not be a bad thing to bring back, uh, <laughs> only among politicians. But, um, but it's, it's also, um, and they, they said scurrilous things about each other, and uh, many of which weren't true. But the, uh, Dave's point is, is, is a good one because uh, Baker points out that People rely on different sources to get their own set of facts, just as Meredith said. 
And that that makes it very difficult to have a, a, a sensible political discussion. Um, in answer to Dave's question, the only thing I've got is read all kinds of things from different sources. and Because it, it's interesting to think that there's a difference between um, editorial bias and reporting bias. Reporting bias is the, the reporter has a bias and presents a slant on the story, and that's a problem. Editorial bias is we cover this story, we don't cover that story. And I think that's the biggest difference. Um, if, you, if you switch from um, CNN to Fox News and, and so on, and the, the way to account for that is to listen to more so- sources, li- read, read as much as you can, and draw your own conclusions. You have to reach out to yeah, your base. I, I, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think Mike hit it on the, na- uh, hit it on the head, basically. Uh, and Dave's comment is an excellent one. Um, I think, actually, part of the problem also, uh, instead of just attacking the politicians and uh, leaders in the um, media or, you know, in the business world, I think we should also look at ourselves, too. Uh, We basically, I think, uh, as a society, uh, we uh, tend to uh, more or less listen uh, to people uh, who... Um, are uh, speaking about our own opinion and feelings in a more extreme fashion. That is, uh, we, we, we are less tolerant as a country, and we do not want to hear the opinions of those uh, who oppose us or are critical of what uh, we may believe in. So, you know, conservatives would only watch Fox, you know, uh, the left or the liberals will uh, cater into what MSNBC and CNN, uh, you know, might say. Um, and I think it's, it, you know, this this book may be a call for shaping our own opinion according to uh, a, a more factual, objective basis, which is reading more, studying more, looking for different sources. <laughs> Uh, for contradictory sources, which might actually challenge our own conclusions and opinions. And that's why I think this book is actually, uh, yes, it's about two decades of declining public trust uh, in just about every institution, but it has a hopeful message. uh, And the message is, and I think he's sort of uh, hoping for this, that the extremists uh, on both sides of the culture in the culture war, I should say, uh, have fewer followers than social media might suggest, and that this polarization and distrust and this breakdown uh, shall pass. Uh, Whether it will or not, I do not know, but that's what the message of this book is. Okay, well, let's get Mr. Wingnut on the line. Mr. Nutt, go ahead. What's on your mind? Well, good morning. Uh, My assessment of the book, I I think uh, Michael hit it right on when he he talks about how the, I think he went into the various uh, segments of the problem in a very good fashion, uh, but, but his solutions were rather weak, uh, in my opinion. Some of the other areas that I consider him to be rather weak in is is when he evaluates. You know, he obviously is like a, a never trumper, um, and and doesn't give equal time to uh, what Mr. Biden has said. And I'm I'm not a Trumper. I I will actually I will write in DeSantis. I cannot vote for either Trump or Biden. Uh, I think 
the author was real weak on his, you know, in his assessment of uh, science and medicine and the results of the vaccine. I think when it comes down to George, George Floyd and his assessment that it was a murder, I don't think that is necessarily accurate. And his development of the differences between uh, capitalism, free markets, and, and crony capitalism, I think, was, was rather weak. Um, but nonetheless, to get down to what I would focus on, um, page 217, this is a quote from him. Uh, the common claim that we live in a post-truth society is not quite right, or at least incomplete. What we have instead is a two-truth society, which, of course, means a no-truth society. And to me, the crux comes down to truth, truth and accountability. And so I, I will disagree with him on there being a, a no-truth society. And, and how this goes into effect is, is into our personal lives, with truth and accountability. For example, you know, we hear it say that uh, transsexualism, you know, uh, is that is that true or, or false? And the facts are that the human organism either produces male or female gametes. Never have, have they uh, transferred from being able to produce one to another. And so there is a truth there, and it's up to us to accept it or to reject it. Uh, there is also a difference between truth and, and ignorance. And an example of that is you know, our friend Harry called in with his, uh, his thoughts on uh, Christianity and socialism. And, and I don't think it's because Harry necessarily is being uh, untruthful or lying to us. I think it, it more is a case of just not being ignorant or just not being is being ignorant of what the structure of the early church was, both in history and the biblical accounts of it. Uh, and lastly, let me say that I thought his ideas on when he brings up go small and go local were, were spot on. That's All right. My comments this morning. Thanks for the call. We're going to come right back. We have Jeff and Harry both waiting to visit, and Emmett is also on the line. We're going to get all of your calls in as quickly as we can. KGVO Book Club rolling right along. We'll be right back. And welcome back. This is Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Okay, the KGVO Book Club is rolling right along this morning. Dr. Mirdad Key is joining us on the phone. Dr. Michael Mayer here in the studio. And Jeff has been waiting the longest on the phone. Jeff, thank you for holding. Go ahead, sir. Hey, good morning. appreciate the opportunity. Um, I don't think that as a human being I can know the truth. I think the best I can hope for is to know a set of truths. I can know that this is true or that is true, but what the truth is as a human being, I can't know. Um, and uh, so when I get into uh, this sort of thing, I've learned not to distrust anybody. I've learned to find out what I can trust about them. And so uh, that for me has been a real good uh, mindset change is that, oh, I think I can trust this about you. But now I realize I can trust this about you, and it's completely different. Or it might be the same or just at a little different angle. The second part is that you can never trust an institution. You can trust individuals. You know, back in the 60s, we had uh, Walter Cronkite and uh, the most trusted name in America. Um, Whether that was right or wrong, we trusted an individual, Huntley Brinkley, uh, Reasoner Report, all those. Those were individuals that we trusted. Uh, and so to try to trust an institution like the Centers for Disease Control 
when they're saying things. Um, you can't do that. Uh, you can, but it's at your own peril. And uh, I actually have a question for uh, for Dr. Mayor and Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Kia. Kia, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, I, I was recently listening to a guy named uh, James, Dr. James Lindsay, and he, was taught, he has a book out called The Marxification of Education. In there he talks about how in the 70s there was a concerted effort to begin at a very small level just to kind of insert people into the education system that would um, introduce a Marxist philosophy called critical pedagogy and, uh, and actually promulgate that through our educational system down to schools. And I won't go into what it is, but it seems uh, he's, he's very knowledgeable and very convincing on that. And I was just wondering if uh, either of either the doctors there have experienced overt or covert uh, attempts to actually introduce Marxist philosophies, authoritarianism, into uh, into the universities, because that to me kind of seems to be where our risk is: is that we, you know. The bureaucracy wants us to trust them as authorities. They want, and in doing so, they want that we lose our liberties. And so, I was just wondering if, if they have any experience in in the uh, Marxification of education. All right, thanks for the call, Jeff. Uh, gentlemen. Well, to start with, I, mean, I think the, the uh, reference to Walter Cronkite is interesting because um, he was often regarded as the most trusted man in America. And people thought that he presented the news straightforwardly and objectively. And yet uh, he had a liberal bias. It was because most people agreed with him. It wasn't easily recognizable. He was telling them what they wanted to hear. It's not all that different from people going to, to Fox or CNN for, for different news sources. And um, uh, Baker, again, deals with this. It's kind of interesting. Um, he he writes in his biography of Walter Cronkite, the historian Douglas Brinkley acknowledges how liberal his political views were. While he mostly refrained from outright advocacy on the air, his views were increasingly obvious. So, uh, again, we trust people, but even then, you know, trusting people is, is a dangerous business as well. Uh, trusting institutions may be more so. <clears throat> in terms of uh, critical pedagogy, uh, that's uh, it, it derives from the Frankfurt School, which were a group of um, professors at, 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 at Frankfurt in, in Germany who tried to understand modern society by combining the insights of Marx and, and Freud. And um, so they were somewhat heterodox uh, Mar uh, Marxists, but um, their, their idea of, of critical theory, and it was applied across the board. That's where the, the term critical race theory was. Uh, laws, a law professor uh, applied it to uh, legal institutions, and it, 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 it's come around. Um, but there is, a, there is an idea of that, that the way to teach is to identify um, the, uh, from a straight Marxist perspective, you know, the, the, the capitalist uh, uh, sort of bias of uh, or, or in every institution in society and, and go after that with later race, gender, and so on. Um, I'm not sure that there's quite a, a conspiracy to insert people, but people have inserted themselves. And particularly, uh, I have a former student who was uh, a mindless ideologue and who's now teaching in um, in elementary schools here in Missoula and wow. imposing these views on the, the poor children he teaches. 
With that, we're up against a break. We still have Harry and Emmett wanting to weigh in. Of course, Dr. Mirdad K. also joining us on the phone this morning. We're going to come right back. This is a great, uh, a great conversation and dialogue uh, about the American Breakdown on the KGBO Book Club. We'll be back right after this. Okay, we're back. This is Talk Back to KGVO Book Club rolling right along about another 28 minutes or so before we have to let everybody go. And uh, we do have, oh, yes, what? Oh, Mi- yeah, Mirdad, Mirdad, you wanted to make a comment, sir. Go ahead, please. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I think that, um, you know, uh, excellent question about, you know, critical theory, Frankfurt School, and um, Mike basically um, answered that uh, question. But, you know, I think the key to understanding these issues is uh, to teach them without fear. You know, okay, it's critical race theory, you know, uh, Frankfurt School, Marxism, neo-Marxism, you know, um, as well as other theories um, to the right of the center. But the the issue is, I think, when uh, folks take these theoretical models uh, and turn them into dogmas, you know, re- almost religious dogmas that, you know, since Marx, Marx uh, said this or a member of the uh, Frankfurt School said that this must be the truth. I completely agree with the assertion uh, that they, these kinds of turning uh, certain ideas or facts to absolute facts, absolute, uh, you know, conclusive uh, you know, conclusions. These are, these are, it's absurd. We have to learn them, and uh, maybe they have some relevance in understanding um, a situation better. Uh, but beyond that, they are just tools for better understanding of societies and human uh, activities, rather than an end in themselves. They are a bridge to a better understanding of a complex reality in which we live. Well said. Thank you. Let's uh, get right back to the phone. Say good morning to Harry. Harry, welcome back. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, just a real quick uh, comment on uh, Mr. Nutt's uh, comment on me. I mean, claiming I may be ignorant. I may be ignorant, but I think his uh, thing is that he his opinion is probably more colored by his uh, bias and, you know, what he th- he believes as opposed to my ignorance. But anyway, uh, as to uh, what we're talking about, um, I uh, Miradev has, I think, hit several uh, real points that I was going to make. That first of all, uh, politicians and the journalists, in particular, are really, I think, more mirror of the American people. I mean, they they tell, uh, spout back to us what we want to hear. We we vote in their politicians who want us, you know, who, what we want them to do. And same with the journalists. I mean, they play to their audience. And as and also, just uh, this last thing that Mirad said, that, uh, you know, the things are, even like, I read the Communist Manifesto. It made some points. I, and I, coming from that point in time, and that it, it had, you know, but understanding that, you know, it was at that time, it was pointed, you know, back in the 1800s when, you know, there was that, but, you know, understanding that there there is some points to be had, but it's not a absolute truth. It's, you know, it's not a dogma, like he says. You know, we have... Uh, people have to understand that there there are nuances. It's you know, it, and that's another thing that our country's gotten into is where everything is black and white. They're good or evil, you know. Uh, and if you're not 
don't agree with me, then I'm good. Obviously, you're evil. I mean, and the, that that side is bad. Our side is good, and there's no crossing over. You can't you can't deal with evil because you know that that means you're evil. So, you know, the idea that we have to understand that there are nuances. There's there are grays. I mean, they're truths, but they're always you know uh, level not not level of truths, but there's you know there's always like say nuances. There's always other things that add on to that truth. So uh, I just have a few points I wanted to right. make. All right. Yeah. Well, Harry, thanks for the call. Uh, gentlemen, did you want to respond? Yeah, mm-hmm. Harry's points are very well taken, and I, I tend to agree with much of what he said. Um, I, I think that uh, that's why we study history, uh, to understand the context of how an ideology, how a book, uh, how an individual... Uh, emerged as an important contributor uh, to to his or her society. Uh, I, I like actually his uh, his analogy. You know, in terms of communist manifesto, uh, instead of reading it and falling in love or falling in hate with it, understand that it was written in 1840s in a context of a labor movement, and the radical uh, wing of that labor movement needed its ideas to be articulated in a manifesto and you know basically communist manifesto is a reflection uh, of a moment in european history when a wing of the uh, of the labor movement was moving toward more radical socialist alternatives uh, now to censor it and to deny uh, its existence is absurd but to also read it and falling in love with it as if it's biblical imperative that I will, uh, you know, enact and uh, actualize and implement every element in it is also absurd. Uh, It's a book which uh, I think to a large extent was written in a society uh, far less complex than the society in which we live. So its relevance and applicability has also diminished significantly uh, since it was written. So that's why we read history in order to understand context, and these contexts makes us understand that knowledge is an ongoing process. It's a river. It's moving constantly. And as a great Greek philosopher said, you never swim in the same river because it's always moving and it's also changing. You bet. Yeah, I th- yeah. Go ahead. Excuse yeah. me. We have about two minutes. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's that, what Marina just said is, is absolutely right. I told students for decades that economists are always wrong, and, and they are, but it's not because they're stupid. It's because there are too many variables. But if you study economic theory, you can learn an awful lot about the society that produced it. If you want to learn about the stagnant American economy of the 70s, uh, read Laffer. If you want to learn about the European and American problems uh, in, in the 1930s, read Keynes. Um, the, 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 but if you live by or die by one of those, you're going to go broke. And with that, we're up against a break. 721-1290 is our number. We still have Emmett in Maryland that want to weigh in. We're going to come right back. Uh, this is the KGVO Book Club. American Breakdown is the book. We're going to come right back after this. We are back on Talkback this morning. We're having a great time this morning with the uh, the American Breakdown. Dr. Mirdad Key is on the phone. And, of course, joining us uh, here in the studio, Dr. Michael Mayer. So let's continue on. I believe we have Emmett waiting on the line. Good morning, Emmett. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Well, this is the biggest loaded question in the shortest amount of time you know I've ever done. <laughs> Go ahead. Because I did a whole show for many years 
about how I cannot stand the government and society, and I don't trust it. So I'm not going to rehash that in two minutes. It's impossible. <clears throat> I have a couple of questions. One, poverty. Do you think that poverty makes a big difference in mistrust of government, society, school <clears throat> institutions? Because if you're rich, things seem to go better for you. But let's say you're homeless, you're on the street, you're not really going to trust institutions because... You know, you're gonna. You know, they're the ones that got you there. You, you know, the system didn't work for you, and um, that's actually really one of my loaded. Because I don't trust, and also, you know, the like the schools. I didn't trust uh, your own your own experiences. Do your own experiences shape these kind of things? The reason I don't trust the schools is that I had horrible experiences in the public schools with the conformity. You couldn't think for yourself. But I love the Catholic Church. And I've had positive experiences in the Catholic Church, and they accept me for who I am. That's why I love the Catholic Church. If you could answer those, I mean, I could go on on my <laughs> hatred of society and institutions, but we've covered that in my show. And after this, I wonder what punk rock record I want to listen to today. You've got me on a roll. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, Evan, thanks, thanks for the call. Gentlemen, uh, go ahead. Mirdak. Mike, go ahead. Well, I think the, the, the question of, of poverty and mistrust is, 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 is a good one. It's certainly one that uh, the baker deals with. I mean, his, 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 his idea is that people who, are not, who don't benefit from trends like globalization or various economic policies of the government tend to mistrust the government or business um, be, because of that. And I, I think that's a, it's a, it's a valid point. Yeah, and I think the question of trust, um, you know, it, it always strikes me if, you know, you're walking, it's the middle of the day, it's uh, midday, 12 o'clock, and uh, um, somebody comes and tells you, um, how is your evening going? Uh, well, you know that the evening has not arrived yet, <laughs> and you are actually still, uh, you know, uh, walking during the day. Uh, so this this always amused me, you know, when politicians or other leaders try to convince us uh, of their own interpretation of reality, whereas we know what the reality is. We are uh, walking around when it's daylight. It's not evening yet. Uh, but this is what it is. We are bombarded constantly with interpretations uh, that uh, serve uh, the political or uh, economic interest of um, some other individuals or institutions. That's why I think, uh, you know, the definition of a citizen is a critically thinking individual who does not listen to politicians to understand what's going on, but has his or her own opinion based on as many facts as he or she could collect. That's why uh, when people tell me, oh, the economy is doing very well, you know, or the economy is horrible. You know, I look at my own situation. I look at the situation of people around me. I look at how many people are still suffering from poverty. And then I make my decision whether these are responsibilities of the government or corporations or whatever. I have to formulate my own opinion rather than listen to media outlets or some political leaders because he or she wants to be elected. Um, let's get yeah, to- well, let's get another caller on. This is Marilyn. Marilyn, thank you for holding. You're on Talk Back on Book Club. Hi. Good morning. So 
there is one truth, and that's the Bible. And God is the author of that truth. And the more we have gotten away from him and not followed him and his truth, the worse off our culture and society have become. And no, we're not going to be able to trust in man. We need to trust in God, and every knee will bow in the end. Um, and look how hard the evolutionists, et cetera, have tried to get us off that truth. They they uh, shut that conversation down, that discussion about creation and us being made in God's image a long time ago. And we need to get back to that, and until we do, um, we're going to keep going down the the horrible evil road of death and evil and destruction and violence and et cetera, et cetera, and we'll be able to less trust in man. Man needs to get back to God and his truth, and we'll all be better off. I mean, the Ten Commandments is simple. Simple. If only we would adhere to that simple Ten Commandments, just think how much better our society would be today. So that's it. Marilyn, thank, thank you for the call. Gentlemen, your response. Michael? Um, I, the only thing I would, I would say to that is that there's not a lot of specific instruction in the Bible about econ- current economic policy or, um, uh, or foreign policy. I mean, there, there are things that, that we need to try to discern um, that sometimes you know, no amount of prayer or, or careful reading of the Bible will necessarily give us uh, maybe to big questions, but not to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That, good, good, that's a good, good start. Yeah, it's a good start. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 yeah. in a curious way. It's it's a yeah. little like our Constitution, which is very general. It's a very short Constitution. It gives very important principles. Um, but it doesn't answer every specific question. And there's still a need to try to discern um, Truth, or at least the um, the best the best answer that we can come up with by gathering facts, analyzing them uh, carefully, um, objectively, and drawing a sensible conclusion is something that uh, we we don't do enough of. Okay, let's try to get uh, one more call in before our break. Uh, Jeff, good morning. You're on with our guests. Go ahead, please. Yeah, I just uh, I want to say that I very much appreciate and value the uh, the professors. Uh, dedication to objective truth teaching in the university. I just don't think that everybody in the university has your same level of ethical behavior. I think people in there do come into university with agendas and they want to do things. And that's really what the essence of my question was, is have you you encounter people with agendas who are trying to get a certain viewpoint across because that's their personal belief and they're trying to they, they are more evangelists than educators, and that, that was kind of the essence of my question. All right, gentlemen, thanks, thanks for the call, Jeff. It, it's, it's, it's I think a... Jeff, Jeff, Jeff's point is very well taken, and um, it's, it's really, um, you know, what you saw in the confrontation in the Congress between the uh, three presidents of three very distinguished uh, institutions of higher education and members of the Congress uh, was just a testimony in terms of how uh, politicized this whole issue has become. Unfortunately, I think, uh, though we cannot avoid it, but uh, we do, I think, this is my, uh, maybe according to some traditional view of things, 
is that when you bring party politics into an educational system, you are basically derailed the value of the education you are providing. Uh, if you are um, there to espouse an ideology and deny the right uh, of other voices to be included uh, in a critical fashion, uh, then you're actually uh, you're a politician rather than uh, a person who is educating your students. I think the students need to be exposed to all sorts of ideas, uh, but more and more we have a situation, as you saw, uh, you know, in the case of even recruitment of faculty that are tilting in one direction all the way rather than including a diversity. We keep on talking about diversity. Diversity. We get a lot of memos about diversity. Diversity of, uh, you know, um, all kinds of categories. But I, I would start with diversity of opinion. Universities should be a place where diversity of opinions is absolutely the starting point. If you do not spouse and support diversity of opinions, you're not really dealing with a university. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. We've got to take a one-minute break. And, and, okay. Go ahead, no, please. Well, and, I, and I think that the betrayal of, of free expression by America's universities in recent years is one of the most tragic and dangerous things that, that we've encountered. And to Jeff's question, uh, it is true that people are, are not only teaching with agendas, they're, as Meredith said, they're hiring with agendas, um, and that is antithetical to the purpose of a university. We're going to come right back. Uh, university is supposed to start with universal, something like that? Anyway, we're going to come right back. Uh, 721-1290 is our number, 1-800-568-5309. Back with more of uh, the KGVO Book Club in one minute. Hey, we're back on Talk Back. <laughs> we're getting a lecture from, from Dr. Mayer joining us here in the studio this morning. All right. So I do believe, do believe we have one more one more caller. So let's try to get Candy Peter, on the line. If I may. Oh, 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 go um, ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Before, Kia. Yeah, please, you first. Go ahead. Um, I apologize. But, um, you know, just continuing on what Mike was saying, basically I think the danger is not – uh, you know, uh, he is a Democrat or is a Republican trying to impose his or her ideological agenda. It's really what it does to the culture of a place, a university. Uh, that's how Stalinism began, you know, that people have to believe and think in a certain way. Uh, and they have to follow certain vocabulary, certain grammar, certain language, certain words. Uh, no, that that's uh, that's Mao's China, that's Stalin's Soviet Union. Here is a free democratic country where people have to be exposed to a whole variety of ideas and be able to challenge and question them, regardless of how much you believe in their uh, truthfulness or their relevance. Uh, this is, I think, what is being lost. It it is a betrayal of, um, of our democratic values. That is what worries me the most. All right, so let's get Candy on the line. Candy, go ahead. You're on Talkback. Please go ahead, ma'am. Yes. Um, this, con- this government that we have in America was based on a creator God. And the faith of this nation was based on Jesus Christ, him crucified, risen, 
and risen again. So when you see the fruit of this country now, and put the progression toward this end being, in my eyes, evil, what do you have now? You have transgenders, you have young people cutting their body parts out, homosexuality, lesbianism, and fear porn out there, and you need to be discerning and uh, have that lead you, and you can tell by the fruit if it's good or not. This is a battle of good and evil. There's no doubt about it. And if anybody out there can say to me that it's good for a young child to cut body parts off them, then I'll listen. Thank you. Candy, thanks for the call. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, We have about three minutes left in our time together, so let's talk about the next book. Yeah, the next next book is by E.D. Hirsch. H-I-R-S-C-H. It's an older book. It came out in 1987. It's called Cultural Literacy. And it just, it discusses um, why you need not just to be able to read and sound out words, but you need to have a cultural context to understand them. And I guess the, the best example is if somebody says, well, that's his Moby Dick. You don't need to be an expert on Melville, but you have to have some idea that, right. that, that Moby Dick was about obsession and the dangers uh, of that and so on. The book's published by Houghton Mifflin, and we'll be discussing it on February 19th. Mayor Dad? Mayor Dad, please go ahead. Um, I, there is some uh, issue for me to hear what is being said. I don't know if it's technical issue uh, um, or, um, or um, something wrong with the system. Uh, but I just wanted to conclude by saying how much I appreciate all the calls, all the opinions that have been expressed. And um, I really, you know, I truly uh, appreciate uh, how much our listeners take the time, and so many of them read these books and uh, join the discussion. That's the purpose, to become more informed and more educated. That's one of the reasons why we're th- this. Uh, first of all, we love the show. I love having you gentlemen on and uh, having uh, all this uh, this rich dialogue. We appreciate it. Well, we, yeah, we enjoy thank it. Thank you very much. All right. So, so Nick, uh, we have about a minute and a half before we have to take uh, our, our top of the hour break. And thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kia, for being with us this morning. Uh, what's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous radio program, sir? Uh, from 8 to 8.30, we'll do open phones. Uh, 8.30 to 9, we'll have Robin Driscoll, chair of the Montana Democratic Party. 9 to 9.30, we'll have Don Kay, Montana GOP chairman. And then hopefully from 9.30 to 10, we'll have uh, insurance commissioner, and State Auditor Troy Downing. All right. So well, basically a day of politics tomorrow. So there you go. And uh, I, I know that uh, whenever Robin Driscoll and Don Kay get on the phone, uh, they're always point-counterpoint when, when we go into that. So anyway, gentlemen, uh, thank you again for being with us. We appreciate it.
All right. Thank you, Michael. And uh, thank you, Mirdad. All right. So we are going to say goodbye for today. But, uh, hey, by the way, if you missed any of the, the Talkback episode today, it'll be archived on our KGVO app. Uh, just uh, uh, look there, and then you'll be able to listen to the entire uh, hour-and-a-half conversation. So uh, it's beastly cold out there. Please, please be careful. Uh, don't uh, limit your out- outdoor exposure until it warms up, and then we get a lot of snow. So... <laughs> One way or the other, it's winter in western Montana. Have yourself a safe and warm day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 with Ace on Montana Morning.